Greetings and welcome to another episode of Stamper Cinema. Thank you everybody for tuning in to yet another installment. I'm really excited about tonight's episode because, well, I guess there's really no other way to put it. Happy May the 4th to you. Is that right now? May the 4th? Happy May the 4th be with. Wait, no. How, 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 how does one actually say that? Well, I would like to tell all your listeners who are listening, may the 4th be with you. Mm, this bottle will air on may the 4th and if you're listening i just hope you have a great day exactly may the 4th be with you when you hear this may the 4th be with you indeed yes so we are we're recording this on on a sunday night but we are going to be releasing this on may the 4th and uh yeah i mean there's a lot of things to talk about obviously we've got this movie that we're going to be chatting about and of course if you've been listening to this podcast, then you are well aware that we've been doing a Star Wars series all year long. And in this particular episode, we are going to be unpacking the what was what year did this come out? Was it 2017? I think it was 16. 20, 2016. The 2016 standalone film Rogue One, directed by Gareth Edwards and starring Felicity Jones, Forrest Whitaker, Diego Luna, uh, Sam Mendels or Ben. Ben Mendelsohn and a myriad of other other people and uh, Alan, Alan Tudyk. Tudyk. Yep, Alan Tudyk uh, as well. Yeah, I mean this is this is gonna be a lot of fun. So I'm really excited about chatting about this one. But before we really get into all of that shit, John, how's it going, man? How are you? I'm doing well. I work today. It's fun. But uh, this movie's called Rogue One. It's kind of the start of the rebellion. And anybody who listens to our pod also probably know that we're huge soccer slash football fans. And today there was a bit of a rebellion and uh, at in Manchester. And I thought that kind of coincided that there, there were people who were fed up with uh, regime and leadership. And it just so happened to happen today. Uh, and uh, they let their voices be known. They went into areas that they were restricted to. Uh, so... Um, Anyways, it just kind of coincided with today. Went to work on a side note, Tottenham 140. Gareth Bell had a hat trick. Uh, and I wish I could have seen that live. But yeah, I am extremely excited today. I'm happy to be here. Austin FC won last night, uh, 1 0. Uh, and so, yeah, nothing, you know, nothing but blue skies here in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see any of the Tottenham game, but Arsenal played today. And they busted out a a 2-0 victory against Newcastle. And that was fun. So I got to watch. I watched a little bit of the game. I didn't get to watch nearly as much because, of course, you know, it was on relatively early. And our daughter has a routine. She likes to watch her cartoons in the morning. So I, I get to find a little section of the house and turn it on a, on a computer. So I was able to watch. A little bit of the game so i was able to i was able to at least see a second goal but yeah it was, it was good and yeah how about austin fc isn't this exciting are you are you are you are you hopping aboard that bandwagon are you getting excited are you thinking yeah you know what i'm all in i'm all in on austin fc well yeah 
man, that's just a tough call. Like, cause if you're all in, can I not be all in on Tottenham? Am I now not in on them because I'm all in on Austin? You are allowed to have, like your heart has multiple chambers and you are allowed to be a fan uh, of Tottenham all the way over here and be a fan of Austin FC all the way over here. Just like you're a fan of UT all the way over there, right? So just because you're a fan of Austin FC does not mean that you're no longer a fan of Tottenham. Well, I am a fan. Like I, you know, I'm rooting for him. I got a chance to watch a game with you. If anybody yeah, didn't know, some of our listeners might know, but you and I actually had a chance to hang out over the past weekend for your birthday. And that was a great time. And we got to watch Austin win that game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm extremely excited. I'm ready for the games we played uh, and be able to go. I, I did invest in a season ticket, so I'm happy to be, and I'm proud to be like a inaugural season ticket holder. And I hope to hold that ticket forever, you know? So uh, I'm excited, but like today, or I guess it was yesterday, like get leading up to the game. There's a live Facebook thing and I clicked on it and, you know, I can tell the area and the bar they were at and they were singing and I don't, I'm not ready to start singing. Maybe it's just one of those things that will come in time. Like our, our little like, uh, Austin FC, Austin FC, Austin FC, Austin FC, oh, Austin FC. Like maybe that will grow with me, but. Uh, is that the song? Is that the chant right now? I I think it's even worse than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and here's the thing, because of the fact that you know I'm 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 a, I'm a casual Austin FC uh, fan. You know, I've got I've got a kit. You know, but you know, obviously, I'm more of a, an Atlanta United fan, and I go to all those fucking games, and I, I I don't I don't really necessarily get involved in a lot of the singing, just because of the fact that I think some of the the, the, the chants are. They're, they're major league soccer level. You know what I mean? They're not quite up to premiership. Primarily, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I, I still, I, I still feel the, the, the excitement of the crowd, which I was able to go to a Atlanta United game right after I got back. It was a champions league game. Didn't necessarily go so well because I had horrible, horrible stomach bug or food poisoning or something. It was not a pretty sight. In fact, had a wonderful trip in Austin for my birthday. And maybe we'll, we'll probably break that down and talk a little bit about that, but came back, came back from the trip and it was my birthday and ate all of the foods, you know, a lot of pizza, a lot of tacos and uh, went to bed, woke up at two o'clock in the morning, just feeling like absolute death. And that continued to go on for the next like 36 hours. But in the midst of that, Atlanta United had a, had a champions league game. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to this game. I'm going to go, I'm going to power through it. I'm going to bring a buddy. We're going to tailgate. We're going to, we're going to, you know, throw some bags, you know, a little cornhole action. We do all that. I'm like, I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to drink some topo, you know, and get into the stadium. And then a uh, kickoff happens and about two minutes into it, I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, this is not gonna, this is not gonna go well. And I'm like, hey, bud, I'll uh, I'll see you when I see you. I have to, I have to, I have to have to go, I have to go uh see see somebody about some things. And and then basically for the next 45 minutes, 
I went in between the bathroom, back to my seat, back to the bathroom. And then in fact, I gave up on sitting in my seat and I just actually like stood like above, like in the railing area. And I'm like, Hey man, I shot him like a text. I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm behind you. Uh, if, if you want to party and my buddy, Nick, it was super, super cool. And he just was like, Oh man, I'll hang out with you. I'm like, no, 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 give me space stay away. I feel like I'm going to die. And, uh, we ended up just staying for the first half and then, then, uh, drove back because all I could, all I could do was that first half. But yeah, that was, that was brutal. But that all like came on the, 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 uh, that was kind of the, the end game of my amazing trip to Austin, where I was able to see you and all of our friends. And that felt, that felt kind of like a spring break, you know, like, Obviously, I think that's what your experience yeah. was that maybe it was food poisoning, but maybe it was just your body. Like, cause you know, we had a great time and then like that on the tail end of it, you know, it's just like, uh, yeah, your body just kind of telling you, it's like, man, why are you doing this to me again? Yeah. I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought we were drinking topos today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah. I mean, also it's fun. It was a good time. It was a good time. It was yeah. great seeing you and everybody else. And of course, we had a uh, a surprise visitor in in Katie showing yeah. out, and that you know that that was really cool. You know, one of our good friends who who left Austin around the same time. I think she I think she left Austin before I left Austin, but she's been living up way up north, and I don't know. Yeah, she, she did. She just moved. I think she's moving to. Dang it. She's now she's, she's moving to Ohio, here. but she, Ohio. Yeah, she's Thank living you. in Minnesota. Yeah. So yeah. she left Austin. She's listening. Hey, Katie. Hi, I'm Katie. just going to say, Hey, Katie, because she's, she's yeah. listening. So that yeah. was on seeing her, that, that was a great surprise and everything like that. But it was great. It, it was awesome. Got to see everybody, got to go to some of my favorite spots. And yeah, it, it, it was a lot of fun. But enough about that nostalgia. Yeah, enough about that. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about May the 4th because of the fact that we are celebrating something really spectacular. We, this will be our first episode that is kind of like a little, a little pop-up episode. We were going to do this, but this episode was going to release at the end of the month, but I don't know. I, uh, I reached out to John and said, Hey man, uh, I'm bored. Do you have anything going on? Let's, let's, let's do the thing. And John's yeah, like, no man, I have a lot of things going on. <laughs> I'm really tied up, but fine. Twist my arm. Yeah, that's pretty much how it, how it went down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I wish I could be more like Tom Cruise and Rissy Business. business. Just say, what the fuck? What the fuck, yeah. Yeah. But, I, you know, anyways, I'm here now. So, what the fuck? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Rogue One, a rebellious story. Uh, the, I mean, obviously, right off the bat, in the galaxy, you know, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, boom. Show starts, no no credits, no role. And it I think it sets the tone for a raw film. Uh and before we start talking about the film, I wasn't sure if you could give me some of the tones, maybe musically, or like one of the things I put down was trust. I felt like trust was a, a theme of the show, but I, I wasn't sure if you saw any themes or ideas before we kind of start getting into the movie of uh yeah, I mean, uh, trust is something. Faith is obviously a very much like recurring theme within this one. Uh, brotherhood are, are other things that are going that you know, but also 
uh, not what's the opposite? Distrust. Distrust is another another theme that that is thrown out into this film. Family is another one that's obviously very important to it, and rebellion obviously is probably another you know another important theme that we're that we're that we're covering in this, but. Yeah, that's really, that's what I've got. That's what I've got. I love it. I think you're right. When you were talking uh, last week about Solo, I haven't, I couldn't help but think about how it would be with, uh, with Bale and um, was it um, Michael K, uh, was it Michael K. Williams? Uh, Williams? Yeah. Yeah, which that name didn't strike out to me like I, I remember the name but i can't remember the face and if anybody remembers the wire yeah they remember the baddest man on the block mm-hmm. omar or, yeah mm-hmm. yeah so uh like yeah he would have he would have been a cool guy to learn from and anyways i just want to touch base on that because painting that photo but uh yeah man that that trailer was really cool and i do i do think it kind of gets the spirit of the film right. of uh that that there are these these people fight for something. Yeah. And as the movie begins, we're introduced to, so essentially what happens is we're, we're now like five to 10 years into the formation of the galactic empire. Right. And essentially you've got this Imperial director, uh, Krennic who shows up at Galen Urso's doorstep and Galen Urso is this scientist and Krennic says, all right, we're here for you. You know, we, we need to complete this, this weapon. So you're going to come like, join me. Basically, he didn't really give him like an option. It's like, you're, you're coming with me. And Urso knew that, all right, this is going to be some bad shit. So let me try to hide my wife, hide my kid, hide everybody because they're, you know, they're going to fucking murder people. Right. So he's like, fine, I'll come. But unbeknownst to Urso, his wife shows up and, you know, she wants to protect him. And she's like, he's not going anywhere with you. And Krennic's like, all right, you know, uh, you want to think hard before you make anything, any like stupid decisions. And of course, the wife is like, no. And then Krennic basically orders the 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 murder of this scientist's wife, and so she's dead. This scientist knows that his daughter is about to probably get carried away or uh, get taken as well. So he reluctantly joins to essentially be this this pawn in creating the weapon that we now know of as the Death Star. Meanwhile, his daughter, who is like maybe six to seven years old or whatever, she does get away. She does hide. And she's found by this this uh, this freedom rebellion fighter played by Forrest Whitaker. His name is Saul Guerrero. Guerrero, I think, right? Saul. Saul. Anyway. And so, I, did, I, I did start just calling him Saul. Yeah. Saul. Like Saul, Saul's a cool name. Yeah, especially Saul's a cool name. Films. Yeah. yeah, Saul. He's Saul. Yeah. He's the Saul of this film. Mm-hmm. just all Saul free and fighting you know <laughs> maybe he started with rebellion maybe turn into a terrorist I don't know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then we, we we fast forward a decade decade and a half a couple decades later and now the the girl that who we're essentially tracking is this is uh, played by Felicity Jones and that is Jen Urso and she's kind of imprisoned but she's released by or she's she's saved by essentially the rebellion they know who she is and essentially come to find out the 
the idea that puts this gets this movie really in motion is the fact that her father, who is still alive, got with a Imperial fighter and wanted to release a message that he essentially has left a, a flaw in the plan and he needs to get this message out to Saul Guerrero. And basically the the uh, the rebellion here that there there is a defected imperial pilot trying to reach out to Saul Guerrero and you know essentially it has something to do with these plans they don't necessarily know what's going on but meanwhile Jen Urso is kind of again kind of a pawn within the the Urso clan one way or another like the father is kind of used and washed up by the the empire and and then you know Jen is kind of used and kind of you know uh, becomes a pawn within the the rebellion. But well, what do you what do you, you got to say? Well, just to interject, I feel like one of the strengths of the film is they're showing the civilian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that that's who these individuals are. Yeah, and her call to action essentially is, "Hey, uh, we we need your help, and we need you to reach out to Saul Guerrero and find out what that what the heck is going on." She reluctantly, for whatever reason, agrees to it. And she joins this mission to go to Jedi, um, which is really cool that we see this this planet that is very crucial to to Jedi's. It's where they get the um, essentially that that crystal that makes lightsabers, which is kind of cool as well. That that we go to that planet and we're introduced to some force sensitive beings that aren't necessarily Jedi, but that are you know related to it. Long story short, you get this whole group. It becomes kind of like the wild bunch and it becomes like a ragtag team of people that are essentially going to go do a thing. And the thing that they're going to do is steal these plans for the Death Star that are going to try to figure out where this weakness is. And unbeknownst to Jen, there's also a secret uh, assassination attempt that's going to be had against her father because they don't necessarily know what is going on so you've you've got that you know so you you got all these other little layers but essentially the whole idea is they're going to steal the plans and then take them on a joyride all throughout the galaxy to figure out this this final this final step to help the rebellion essentially i think that was a great way of explaining it without giving too much away yeah but man i do need you to confess one thing I'm with you. What are you drinking? Ooh, well, my buddy, John. So obviously we are covering the film Rogue One. So naturally I had to do a beer made by Rogue. Nice. This one I had to do, it it is called Bat Squatch. It is a hazy India pale ale. And I've got a whole reason why I did did the beer Bat Squatch. But before I give that explanation, what are you drinking? Ooh. Well, I to go back in time to the uh, part of Solo. I talked about Cadillac Bandito. Mm-hmm. I found mm-hmm. some. I found some Cadillac Bandito. Nice. Yeah, six percent by alcohol. What it says on the top is this is crafted cerveza kicks with a tart punch, brewed with sea salt and lime. So I've never been a guy like with my Dosakis and whatnot to put like dress it, you know. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, but it's a good beer and it's got a really cool, I mean, the can looks awesome. It's like a, 
uh, what are those wrestlers called? Luchadores? What are, what are the guys with the mask in Mexico? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Luchador, or, but it looked, yeah. it's, a guy, it's a guy with a mask, the big eagle, but he's also got this awesome suit on. He's standing in front of a Cadillac, and it's called the Cadillac Bandito by Deep Elm Bruin. Um, but yeah, nah, I found I found a place, and there were three six-packs. So I, I bought two. All At right, least I've won. Yeah, you know, I missed it. So yeah, <laughs> I got that beer back. I love it. Well, cheers to you. This is what the the bat squatch looks like. And at the top of it, it says dedicated to the legend. And in this case, I think the legend I'm going to dedicate this is to uh, to Jen Urso. So shout out to her. That's a that's a legend right there. But the other thing that I like about this can is the fact that it reminds me it reminds me a lot of Austin. And I'll tell you why. The bat? The bat, obviously. Now, John knows this because he knows where I used to live. But for the listeners, a lot of the listeners don't know. But for those that are in Austin or those that have ever visited Austin, everybody knows about the famous Austin bats that, you know, come flying out of underneath from underneath uh, the Congress Avenue Bridge. You're talking about the largest North American bat colony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it might be the largest bat colony in the Western Hemisphere. It might be. It might be. It certainly is of the, what do they call them? The, the guano. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> the, I, I believe the specific species of bat are the, like the Mexican, like, what is it? Mexican free tail bats. It's this huge uh, bat colony that live underneath the, the Congress Avenue bridge and each, you know, each and every night from what, like March through the end of October, they fly out each and every night. Now, my old apartment used to live, or rather my old apartment used to be like right in like the flight path. So we lived in like this, uh, at that time, it would have been on the, like the ninth floor and it overlooked uh, the town lake or Lady Bird Lake, whatever you want to call it. And each and every night, you know, I could go out on my patio and watch the, the bats fly out. A few times we would have bats that would get, that would lose their way and would uh, would find their way onto our patio. And that would always be kind of humorous slash terrifying. But it was, it, it, it was something very endearing. And I love those little fuckers, you know. So shout out to the, to the Austin bats. I think if there were a minor league baseball team, I think the Austin uh, minor league baseball team would be the Austin bats. There is a minor league baseball team. It's called the Ramrock Express. Well, wow. <laughs> uh, there was a hot. The there was. Don't get me. <laughs> there, there, there was a hockey team called. Uh, what was it? The Austin, uh, the Austin Ice Bats mm -hmm. in the nineties. The Austin Ice Bats, and uh, yeah, so we've had some bat name teams. Mm -hmm. so, but uh yeah what what's the volume of that beer this is a 6.7 percent by volume damn it i'm over here looking straight weak with a six percent wow all right yeah. i guess i'll i guess i'll have to drink like uh one for every year seven I think so. Another thing that i think you'll appreciate is it doesn't it, it, there's dare risk dream i think you can get rid of the risk and then dare dream which i think is something that taps right into a, a phrase of yours that is very important right 
Well, to dare is to do. To dare. Oh, to dare is to do, not to drink. That's okay. And I do believe fortune favors the bold. So be bold, young men. <laughs> Go forth. <laughs> All right. So I guess now that we've been chatting for a half hour or so, let's talk a little bit about this movie. What do you think? Uh, awesome movie. I think it, it might is. be. It might be the best movie we've ever done. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say it's the best movie we've ever done to date, but of the Star Wars cycle, this thus far is the the best film of the bunch. I know I know how much you love Revenge of the Sith. Um, yeah, but I also know why I love Revenge of the Sith. Right, right. Also, I also am rebellious. And so when people put down Revenge of the Sith, I want to rebel. <laughs> you know, f you. <laughs> you know, I. But no, I. This like I, I can also put myself aside and say Empire Strikes Back is a fantastic film. Star Wars. I I got caught in my in my head thinking, of what came first, chicken or the egg? Was Star Wars Empire Strikes Back? Where it's like, was anyways. Those are different films. We'll get to that. But like, Rogue One is up there with like the top. You know, the, you know, just a fan. It's just a, it, and it's a standalone film, but it, it's just a fantastic, well-made movie. The music's great, the acting's great, the story's great. Um, it's so good. Uh, one of the things, starting off the bat, that I really liked was how most of the characters are assassins, saboteurs, spies. Uh, you talked about distrust and stuff like that, and uh, they let the characters have that. Whereas we just finished with Han, and the whole idea with Han was like always shoot first. And he's a smuggler; it's a different character. But like you start off this movie, and this movie came before that. But like uh, Cassio shoots the dude in the back, and shooting first somebody in the stomach's a lot different than shooting somebody in the back. But that's your hero that you're following throughout the movie. Like that's how far the rebellion's fallen. Like um, it's one of the things I really appreciated in the movie. There's a great scene where Cassie and, and Jen were about to, to take off to go on their mission. And uh, the main guy comes out and he tells Cassie, it's like, don't, he's like, forget about what you heard in there. Kill Jen Erso's father. And so he has to deal with that. Then he goes in and has a great scene. Then they fly off and, other than that, like what I really appreciate, I feel like I'm jumping ahead, but what, the main thing I love about this movie is how they took their time. Cause in that scene, like they allowed all that to happen after all that, which is a lot of information, they get in there, they get in the ship and they take off and you still get a great shot of the, uh, I can't remember what the guy's name is. You get a great shot of him turning around and his hair is blowing the wind and he seems a bit disappointed in himself and the ship's taken off into the sunset from Yavin 4 and the guy's like, you know, hitting on the speeder bike because it's a known thing that's leaving. And uh, they, I just feel like whoever edited the film, they, they gave each scene an extra minute or 30 seconds for it to develop and you... Um, yeah. So I really appreciated that the most in this film was I feel like the director was able to just make it his movie. Yeah. Um, Am I wrong? No, you're, you're right. I think the movie was done really, really well. I, I echo many of those sentiments, you know, I've, I've done some reading. So I, I've learned a little bit about like some of the reshoots just like solo 
that there were there were a lot of reshoots. I mean, you had mentioned in the trailer, like it felt like a little bit of a different movie. Tempo-wise, the the first cut to what we see now were a little bit different. The 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 uh, the director uh, Gareth Edwards basically did a movie and then Disney got involved and said, you know, I don't know. We're, we're, we're not quite where this movie needs to be. And, you know, they, so they added some, they added that infamous um, Darth Vader scene that we, that you get at the end of the movie, they added that into it. They, they changed a little bit of the Scarif uh, scenes that we've got. So, that was changed a little bit. They fleshed out Cassian Andor a lot more in the in like the reshoots because some of the the characters were a little bit more of a shell, and that was just it. It was like when he when Gareth Edwards had completed his first cut, there were there were just too many holes, so they they did some reshoots. So uh, Tony Gilroy uh, was brought on to essentially finish the movie, just like in Solo, how Ron Howard was brought on to finish the movie, but in Solo. It was 70% new movie that he did where with Tony Gilroy, he just filled in the parts that Disney weren't necessarily happy. What is interesting is the fact that Disney were always okay with this movie being a little bit darker in tempo. You had mentioned like Empire Strikes Back. That movie is famous for you know having a darker tone than Return of the Jedi and of course the original Star Wars had a different tone, but this movie in all intents and purposes is a really, really bleak film, you know, and it comes on the idea that this is the first victory of the rebellion. It's the first victory of the rebellion and everybody dies, you know, and this is a victory of everybody in the movie that was introduced to this, you know, film, you know, obviously you had, you know, characters that were mentioned in other star Wars movies, they, you know, Mon Mothma, you know, uh, um, uh, Princess Leia, Darth Vader, you know, they're in other films, but every new character that was introduced into this movie, they all die. And yet this is supposed to be the first victory. And I, and I, I think that's just something really interesting about this movie that gets me excited about, about this film is the fact that, not that I, I want everybody to die, but it shows real weight to this idea of this rebellion and what you're fighting against and, and the cost. And, you know, I, I thought about this movie and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going on a little bit of a rant, but I'm just like the first time I've been excited about one of the movies we've talked about, you know, in, in several months. So like, bear with me one second, um, is the fact that, you know, we, we are introduced to some really, really rich characters. And I, I think, I, I, you know, and fortunately, Disney saw some of those weaknesses that they weren't quite there originally, and they allowed somebody to come in to kind of fill in those gaps and cracks to make this movie really, really hum. So, yeah, yeah, I've got a lot, I've got a lot to say, but I just want to, I want to like stop right there on, on that little nugget there. You want to talk about the characters a little bit, the team? Mm. Because yeah, we got yeah. Felicity uh, Felicity Jones, mm-hmm. you know. Yep, she plays Jen she, herself. She's probably the best all around, you know, soldier. She was Soul Guerrera's, you know, best recruit at sixteen. Mm-hmm. Then you got Cassian, the spy, saboteur, assassin. You got Rebel Hick- Captain. 
You got his droid, K2, who is a war analyst droid. Uh, what does he know? His only, uh, you know, I can't remember what his specialty is, but it's basically like war analysis. Uh, then what's really cool is you got uh, the crew they pick up in Jeddah, which is basically a very similar to a, like a Jedi blind man with a staff uh, who's, he's the most in tune to the force. But when you're, you know, when you're setting up your, uh, your squad, you got to have, you can't just have a bunch of snipers. Like you gotta, everybody has to have their own thing. So he, he's a really cool guy and he's got a bow similar to Chewbacca. So he's just more naturalistic, but his best buddy is kind of the gunner sniper. So they're, they're very like naturalistic, you know, auto, you know, machine gun. Uh, and they, you know, so they have good karma and, uh, what's that? Six. I think that's the, oh, no, then there's the pilot, yep. the the all-around pilot, uh, Bodhi, uh, right, Bodhi, the Buddha Fossa, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little nod to, uh, to point break. You you mentioned, you mentioned the, like, the blind force sensitive uh, guy, that would have been uh, Chirwit Imwe, and that is played by, uh, by the actor Donnie Yen, who fucking crushed it i i'm i'm excited i'm I'm dropping f-bombs in this episode i'm i'm bringing them back i'm excited yeah why not um but i love it's your birth week it's, it's my <laughs> birth week yeah i loved donnie yen in this movie i thought he was great and then of course you had you had his buddy um who was um uh jang wen who played bays and essentially where where Donnie Yen's character is this force sensitive, you know, um, Donatello kind of guy. Yeah, uh, that's Bees is more like your your Rambo, right? So essentially, you've got Donnie, you've got Donatello and Rambo in uh, mm-hmm. on this team, you know. So you got this guy that just has like the the ultimate machine gun and is just just a beast. And of course, you've got your pilot and everybody else. That uh, so, you, yeah, you got your ragtag uh, team of of misfits that that are off to complete the the impossible task. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's a death sentence, and I think I think many of them knew going into it that it's you know we're we're the cause is bigger than you know than than us as an individual. You know what we're going to be able to do will inevitably save save the galaxy yeah well Jenna, i don't think she had much to lose um was kind of sucks as her dad did his best to kind of keep her out of the limelight but she still came into it but i think her dad it, it was a good scene at the end with diego luna where he tells her your dad would be proud of you and i do think her dad would have been proud of her even knowing the outcome yeah of what would happen he her his nickname for her was stardust mm-hmm. so I, I i i think as long as he understood that his daughter's life uh went to bettering the universe he would be proud of her um yeah i think in hindsight he he might reconsider his uh his plans i mean i i don't want to necessarily jump ahead but because we're on it i i, I can't help but bring up the fact that in the end, her demise is the weapon that he creates. Like, you know, she, like, he creates this weapon. He, and then he reveals, like, this is the, the, the way to stop this weapon. But it still doesn't prevent his weapon from killing his own child. You know what I mean? Like, and that, 
that's just like some brutal, just brutal irony right there. Uh, his nickname for her is Stardust, and that's what she essentially becomes. It's, a, it's the story of Icarus, whose yeah. father created mm-hmm. wings and who flew too close to the sun. And I guess in a way we love it. We enjoy this movie, but this movie has stereotypes or I don't know what the word is, but stories within them. And that's kind of one of them. Yeah. Where do you want to start on this film? Do you want to start at the uh, prison pickup scene when K2 grabs her and slabs her to the ground? I think we can, I think we can talk, we can talk a little bit about that. We can just talk about like, I think what makes this movie work so well are, are the characters and that was a really great shot like you know her her busting out and then k2 just grabs her and just mm-hmm. throws her down that was so great mm-hmm. and then you yeah. got adam tudyk who is such a great great actor and who's been i know that you're a big fan of what was it um serenity firefly serenity and firefly and you know i'm a big fan of steve the pirate from uh from dodgeball uh, yeah. <laughs> sure yeah or my daughter is a huge fan of Hey Hey from Moana. He's the he's a little rooster in uh, Moana, where all he does is just kind of like clucks and and, and screams. But well, he did a he did a four weddings and a funeral the one with Chris Rock, the the more up to date one, I believe. Oh, the American version. The um, yes, the American version. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Not the Hugh Grant version. Gotcha. Okay. Um, anyway. But yeah, that was good. I mean, this movie, and it's funny because of the fact that there are a lot of characters. And I think my original critique, and I think I might even said it to you the first time I saw it, is I thought there might have been too many characters. Like, I so I, was- I remember our discussion, and the other idea was too many planets. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, in talking to a friend, I saw Solar's Rob, not you. We didn't see, but Rob and I did see Solo at Alamo. That's a sidebar. Okay. But, uh, uh, but no, I remember talking about it. Too many characters, too many uh, different planet changes. Watching it this time, though, before they went to a planet, they introduced the planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So if you, if you knew, well, I, I felt that way, but if you know where I'm going, I'd say go with it. No, where I was going with that is this movie may require two or three times to really like pick up on everything. But now that I've seen it a couple times, I think this movie does really do a great job. We're, we're told about this pilot before we meet this pilot, you know, and then we meet the pilot and we're like, all right, we know who he is and what it is that he's supposed to do. And then you're introduced to when, when they go to the planet, you know, you're introduced to this badass force sensitive guy and basically his shield, right? And and then you've got then you've got your your your, your the um, uh, Diego Luna, who's kind of your other protagonist, and his droid. I mean, that's really it. You know, it, it's you. It, it just seems that with my first viewing, I thought, man, they they could have gotten rid of one or two of these characters, but no, man, because when you really think about it, this is uh, Dirty Dozen. It is um, the Wild Bunch. It is you know all of the, the these classic spaghetti westerns, or you know uh, the Magnificent Seven or Seven Samurai. You know like these these characters that essentially you're gonna you're gonna follow all of them, and yeah, they're they're essentially all gonna die again. Well, that that really dives well in. Done. Pardon? I, that, I think that dives into telling. I guess retelling a story in a different way. Right. So we're going to see Disney do this 
all over the place. Mm -hmm. But in this version, they're retelling a story, but it's the Star Wars version of of the Seven Samurai. Exactly, Uh, yeah. And that's why these characters needed to be different. Hence, the guy with the bow staff, the guy with the machine gun, uh, the pilot, the assassin, you know, the all around. Uh, one of the things I thought was really cool that they did was we we talked in solo about like it being the times of the empire. Early on, whenever Craddock lands, I think it's smart for him to land really far away because if you're going to come in with guns, you can't just like land on somebody's front doorstep. You should probably walk <laughs> up and let them know. But I thought like uh, visually it was really cool how they met on the grass. Like there's a bunch of squirt shorts around them, but I think it tells the story visually that they actually, like the guy walked across the, he's a farmer. He walked across the grass. He was kind of building the scorched earth and he met him there. Mm-hmm. That, and so as a director, not I'm a director, but I think that's really cool. I think that tells the story in its own way. I think all the worlds that they, that they did in this movie, I think they did a very, very good job and everything looked different than anything else we had seen before. One of the things I want to go with this was just when Jen runs off, she drops a stormtrooper doll, you know, and I think that's really cool. And then, you know, there are a little bit of the enemies and stuff, but you also get this great scene or not great scene. It's a, it's a flashback. It's a nothing scene. It's a throwaway scene, but it's where Galen tucks her in at night, but you see Carrot uh, and he, he drinks a bit of the whiskey. He looks at the whiskey and it, and it's one of the things that adds to his character. It's like he's slumming it and he, he has no appreciation. He's drinking the whiskey with the guy. And, he, and it's like, I don't really like, I get why the director put it in the film, but I can see why somebody in editing would be like, let's kick it out. But it's to me, it means a lot to the character development because it says like he's going to be there with the scientist. He knows how to build the Death Star. He's just like looking at it because he's Craddock is an interesting. Let's talk about Craddock for a little bit. How about cool? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, I feel like because you you get him and Grandma Tarkin, and and there's a there's a power dynamic going on between them, and uh, we know Grandma Tarkin from Star Wars, and it's it's pretty cool because he's arrogant, like character is. He's he's a bit lackadaisical at times and lazy, uh, but also at times he is a very decisive decision maker. Uh, there, there's a really cool part when they well, it's not really cool but whenever they hit Jetta and they're like beaming up shoot it out <laughs> you know it's like he's just like let's do it come on why are we waiting he, he's very decisive so the Empire lost a good man in character time but th- those are my thoughts yeah no I love I loved uh, Krennic I love I love that character so much but of course I'm a huge huge fan of that actor Ben Mendelsohn fucking fucking unreal just great australian actor uh he for for those that are listening and i'm I'm saying the name that you don't maybe don't necessarily know if you ever saw the tv show on netflix bloodline he was on that which he was really really good in the first couple seasons of that um he was also on just this past year hbo's the outsider and he was really really amazing on that tv show but just a very very strong actor and yeah, he plays essentially this this director. We we throw out this director, but basically, for lack of a better term, kind of like a like a general type person. And he's got 
power aspirations because he's essentially responsible for creating the weapon for or directing those that created the weapon that is the responsible for blowing up planets you know he's he's the guy that's responsible for he's he's your weapons director essentially so he's responsible for the the death star's main weapon to blow up planets and he's got these aspirations he he wants his name associated with this he wants the emperor to know that the reason that they can do it is because of him so he's power hungry but he also has this what's the word i'm looking for inferiority complex because he he's up against you know the grand moff tarkin who is more of the face of the death star and you know he's He's a small fish in a in a big pond, but he wants to be he wants to be a, a bigger fish. Right? Well, Would you I agree with that? Yeah. Well, I think he also he, he's shown the most in investing in his wardrobe. He has shown the most in his troops. His troops seem more well armored and armed than any other troops. Like he seems uh as a governor or somebody like that, that he would be a guy who invests in, in his own army uh, and pays for him. So <laughs> there are things though, where he is just about the bottom goal. When he shoots Mira and he yells out, they have a child, find it, find it, find it. Yeah. So he, he doesn't respect life. But uh, he's an idealist. I get. Huh, is that the right term for? No, maybe not. Uh, what's somebody who just? I don't know. He just wants to climb the tree and stuff like that, and he sees a way. Yeah. But I do think the part where he sees Vader and Vader kind of chokes him out, and he's just like, "Don't let you know. Don't choke on your aspirations." He kind of smiles after that, and maybe that's him like thinking, like, "Hey, you know, the deaths are still mine." But I think he also kind of respects power and, and ruthlessness. Uh, and once again, I think that's a good thing that the director got out of the, the actor and in that scene. Like, why fly him off to go see Darth Vader? I have a theory because they're Yavin 4. They go to see Vader. Those temple, like Vader's little complex and Yavin 4 kind of look similar. I think they're kind of throwing a little Jedi Sith. Why did Vader make his temple? It's kind of like, you know, a little Jedi temple out in the middle of Volcano Land. Volcano Land. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also feel as Vader, like, I don't want to be on Coruscant. I don't want anybody to know where I'm at. And I don't really care. So all I'm going to do is go hang out in a back, uh, what do they call backum tanks? Backum? Uh, with the little healing tanks right yeah and uh you know just use my force energy to uh, you know expand the universe that's that's what i'm gonna do i don't want people asking me why i'm wearing black on a sunny day <laughs> why are you wearing black on a sunny day john i didn't know it was gonna be sunny i thought it was gonna rain <laughs> i'm hanging on the shade <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm there's a lot obviously to to kind of like unpack there but i did want to kind of like just bring back is one of the things i did love about this movie is just the like the the set dressing you know what i mean like yavin 4 it was really cool being on yavin 4 again but we we saw it a little bit from a different perspective 
whatever the hell the name of the planet that the Ursos were on, that was really cool. It, it was really, it was really neat being on the planet of Jeddah. That was cool. And of course, Scarif, I mean, anytime you're going to film a movie in the freaking like Maldives, I mean, that, that is really, I mean, just, just far and away, probably the prettiest location that they shot a Star Wars film on. Hands right? down, hands down. Absolutely. And I thought it was so cool that in this, uh standalone film you get the most beautiful i mean george lucas took his time to, to pick set designs and uh also if i'm the emperor where do i want to have my records at probably the most beautiful place in the world which in i don't know i guess in this present day world it might be bermuda i don't know but You've you've got you've got a lot of Bermudians that are listening and nodding and approval. Like, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. Like KBB. KBB. <laughs> Anyways, but uh no, nah, it was yeah, man. It, it was an awesome set, awesome cool scene. It, uh we'll get to that. Who was your favorite other than Jen? I guess out of the posse, who is your favorite? My favorite player on the on the good guys. Or, is, or who would you be? Uh, it could also be. Oh, who would I be? Oh, oh, I'd be Cassian. That's who I would be. But yeah, you would be. I would be Cassian. Are you kidding me? Um, but my favorite is Chiro Inwe. I I mean, I but I love Donnie Yen. You know what I mean? I I I just wish I was a freaking like martial arts badass. You know what I mean? Like it would just. I, I wish I could just hold like a bow staff and just kick everybody's ass. It would just be awesome. But yeah, so he was my favorite of the of the bunch. Obviously, Jen Urso. I love Felicity Jones. Like I thought she brought something really interesting to it. And uh, the the director of the movie, Gareth Gareth Edwards. I want to I can't, I can't do that, but he he said something that kind of like juxtaposed this movie versus a new hope where in a new hope you've got this guy that comes from peace and civility and all he wants to do is join the war this movie we're introduced to a girl who's from the war and all she wants is to go back to like peace and civility you know like she 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 has no need for a war she just wants to go back to how things were before where you know luke skywalker is the exact opposite so it's you know uh to use the phrase that we like to use on this for uh, on this podcast you know it's the yin and yang right there you know so you 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 have her character and i think that i think she did everything that she could within this role for the actress felicity jones i think i think i i don't think that she was written quite as well as ray in the but of course, Ray had three films to to go with. But what Felicity Jones had in this one two hour movie, I, I think she did a great job. And I I read some like uh, like reviews, and by and large, everything was over like overwhelmingly positive. But you know, just the the few little like nitpicky things. But I thought she did a good job. But five minutes later, to answer your question, um, I would be Cassian. But my favorite character is uh, Chiro Inway. I think I'd be K2SO. You'd be KT. Yeah, you would be K2. Yeah, you're the, the, the tall one of the group. He, he is tall, but he, <laughs> he's also a protector. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But 
I think it's cool that you get a part with Cassie and it is a scene right before they fly off from Yamam 4. But he says, don't mind K2. He says whatever comes to his mind. Later on, when Cassie leaves, literally he tells her his his rifle was a sniper configuration. Yeah. Like that wasn't a lie. In a weird way, that's kind of trust dynamic, but it's, um, it's, I guess it's sometimes viewing movies, viewers, people who are listening, you can sometimes adapt how you view the movie if you approach it a different way. And if you view it as in like, that's character building and like, that's setting up a scene. Like it, it, it makes it more enjoyable to me. I really enjoyed how the film escalated in violence. Like kind of starts with a, uh, like the prison breakout scene and stuff like that and shooting in the back. But as it leads on, like you get a cool scene that the good guys, the X-Wings are bombing this planet of Edu, which I guess it is a bad facility, but that's going on. But then all of a sudden you get to uh, Scarif and you get the blue team. And now we finally know what happens to the blue team. They all went down. Mm-hmm. So uh, you just mentioned like the blue team. What what I thought was neat and we'll, we'll probably bring up we'll probably bring up uh, Grandma Tarkin here in a little bit. And we'll probably bring up Leia here in a little bit. But what I liked is how they were able to use some of the footage from the original Star Wars movie by bringing your, like your red and like gold leader back into this, which I thought was really, really cool that they were able to use some like footage from the original Star Wars movies into that battle. Cause we already know those guys. And to use some of that, that, that kind of like that stock footage, if you will, of of them uh, going through battle. I think I, th- I think that was really cool. I think that was really like a neat touch of how they were able to bridge bridge the gap between this movie and into the original Star Wars film. Yeah, and and you get Red Five dying, mm-hmm. right? I feel like that was one of the accomplishments of this movie where a lot of things where they were showing, uh, it wasn't, you know, general Akbar, but it was another, uh, of his kind, Sam lightly. And it kind of showed a lot of things or grandma Tarkin from return of the Jedi, but, but they were kind of showcasing early in this one. And to me, I thought of it as uh, a bookend where Mm -hmm. like, it it was able to kind of like when you were, if you want to tell a story and you end with Return of the Jedi, this is a perfect fit to fit right in front of Star Wars. And if this movie wasn't called Rogue One, I'd almost want it to be called A New Hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm okay with that because I, I still, like, I can't, I can't call Star Wars a new hope. I just can't do it in my conscience. I can't, I can't call that film that because I've, I've mentioned it on, I've mentioned it on this podcast. I don't want to beat that. The horse, last but. line of this movie is Leia hope. saying hope. Mm-hmm. This seems in a way, a new hope. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which almost, I don't know if it's irony, but it would have made like a new hope and it would have been this film. <laughs> that would have been even wilder. Although I do like the title Rogue One. I think it's fun because it, yeah. 
Because, I mean, that titles into Empire Strikes Back with the beginning, you know, like where they're, that's Rogue Two. But imagine there's probably a conversation where, yeah, like different titles. But I, I think overall, I'm pretty okay with, I'm pretty okay with the title. Um, I love the title. I love the yeah. title. I love the title. We just talked about titles in earlier ones. And I was just, that was the only other one I could think of because I, I know Star Wars is the next one we're going to cover. But in a way, I, I felt like as sad of a movie as this movie is, it is a new hope. Right. Mm-hmm. That 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 is what they're doing. I'm with you. I'm and, with you. And there's two parts where Cassian was like, rebellions are built on hope. And that's exactly what she says to the crew mm-hmm. or the crew, <laughs> Graham off Tarkin and all the other people. Uh, so, you know, rebellions are built on hope, man. Uh, hope is the last thing to go. We've been for the past hour, just hyping the hell out of this movie. And I mean, with good reason, it's a, it's a fun ride. It's a really, really fun ride, but I am curious. Are there any, is there any, anything that you feel the movie missed the mark on, you know, Monday morning quarterback type shit. When first seeing the film, we went over the Monday morning quarterback where too many film sets or, you know, too many actors. But now I also had mentioned how my favorite film or whatever, you know, Revenge of the Sith doesn't leave me wanting to watch a new hope. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, people. Star Wars. It doesn't make me want to watch Star Wars. This film makes me want to go watch Star Wars. Like, without a doubt, like, Star Wars is not my favorite. I'm a bigger Empire Strikes Back fan. But anyway, um, that's another thing where it's so hard to get geared up to watch a trilogy you've seen 10 times, let alone 50 times, maybe 100 times. It gets hard. But when you watch this film and, you know, for the 10th time, it's like, let's do it again. Let's go one more time. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, yeah, this this film came around at the right time. I think it sets the right tone. We haven't talked much mu- about it musically. I kind of looked up. I, I always kind of do this thing where I kind of like like to listen to theme songs, uh, do a face, love across, uh, so you, love across the universe. When I looked up this one, it said it was brought it was by Michael Gaducci, I want to say, but it said music by John Williams. And it made me feel like a lot of what, maybe I'm wrong, the guy did was either slow down or pick up tempos from John Williams' music. I might be wrong. Maybe some of our listeners can tell us about it, but it, it made me feel like he didn't have a song himself. Maybe he does. But a, a lot of the songs where you're listening, to or when you're watching the movie, you get slowed down, picked up versions of Love Across the Universe or different tempos of Duel of Fates or Star Wars theme. And so it gives you the same feel of the movie. You know, it's like kind of a different uh, uh, vibe. Yeah, no, I, I, I gotcha. So the, 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 the composer for this film is Michael Gia, uh, Giacchino, Giacchino. Um, I apologize. It's not, good, it's not Gaducci? No, it's not Gaducci. But I feel bad because I feel like I should know his last name because he is a Tony away from being an EGOT uh, recipient. And do you know about an EGOT? You know what an EGOT is? Is that, uh, it's, it's, more, it's like 
Well, just go ahead and explain it. So an EGOT is you've got an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. It means you've got you've got them all. You 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 basically um, the Triple Crown plus you know so Triple Crown is only three, right? But so essentially, he's got the triple crown. All he needs now is a Tony. But basically, he, he's he's won everything. So he's a pretty well established uh, film composer. He's worked a lot with like J.J. Abrams and um, um, uh, the, the Wachowskis and uh, Matt Reeves and like a lot of your like Pixar people and everything like that. So that's his kind of like background. Now he did write original music, but of course, when you're, when you're doing star Wars, you're going to have to have some type of nod to other star Wars films. So he was able to incorporate some of the, a little bit of like in the end when uh, Darth Vader is just whooping ass, you know, you have to use a little bit of that kind of like Imperial March kind of, symbolism in there as well and that's that's where i guess you get a little bit of that that music from john williams and yeah so one thing i was really curious about was as a storyteller i really enjoyed how in this movie where you knew that they were kind of going into a dead-end mission the uh writer i guess introduced a love story so it kind of gave you a false identity of hope so my kind of curiosity has that. Do you understand where I'm kind of, you know, like how do you write that in like a, a false identity kind of keep the idea of the story may have a chance. Cause like a whole part of it was like, as they were going in and they tell Bodhi, the Bodhi Fossa, like, Hey man, you know, if the ship blows up, you know, we can't get out and the ship blows up. Like it, it's really cool. Cause Jen so tells people ahead of time, like, you know, we're going to take the next step and we're going to throw the next dice and we're going to keep going until all the dice are thrown. Paraphrase, and I can't remember what the word she used was, but, it, you know, you get each scene where each character, whether it was uh, the guy with the bow staff, the guy with the machine gun, the pilot, like each one of them accepted their fate of death. And you get to see it at the very end when uh, Jen and Cassie are holding hands and they're watching this beautiful sky on this beautiful beach <laughs> and the world's about to end. They give each other a beautiful hug. It's one of those like, <laughs> kind of like Danny and John, you almost just wish they could get off the planet because <laughs> then, you know, that, you know, things would be good. Two things. Um, I did like that. I, 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 we, we touched on a little bit, but you know, there, there was this sense that these characters accepted their faith going like fate going into this mission that they knew that it was going to be risky and the odds of them surviving were limited. And also K2 also said that the chances of survival were, you know, essentially less than 3%. Like these, uh, the percentage of failure was like 97 some odd percent. Right. So the odds weren't, weren't really good now regarding the love story i don't really think there was a love story at all until until you just had two people that kind of accepted that were were the two that have survived this and were were we're now about to basically be on the beach and the atomic, the atomic weapon is going off oh, like in, you know we're, uh, go, we're going beyond movies here but I think love can grow from respect. Mm -hmm. You know, I think 
you know, sometimes you overlook somebody, but you you end up respecting them and you you realize you underlooked them. Yeah. I think there's probably also the the idea of of putting that in there because you, you gotta, you know, sex sells, right? And love sells. So if you're if you're doing one of these films, it, it's good for the for 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 the audience that wants that type of emotional kind of con that uh, for the audience that wants that emotional connection, you know, that you're you're going to have your your two protagonists have some type of some type of connection in the end, right? It just comes into does it work? Does it serve the plot? And I don't know. Maybe also I'm 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 kind of like torn over this because of the fact that I was uh, I was recently listening to another podcast and it was about the movie A League of Their Own. I don't know if you if if you've ever seen the movie A League of Their Own, but in one of the deleted scenes in A League of Their Own, there's this scene where you've got a drunken uh, Jimmy Dugan played by Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. And you've got, I can't believe I forgot Jenna Davis's character's name. Uh, was she Dottie Henson? Yeah, Dottie, yeah go Dottie. Dottie. Yeah. yeah. So you had Dottie and, and Jimmy Dugan kind of drunk one night and they're, I don't know if they're like out, like on the field or whatever, but they're, they're getting drunk and he leaves a kiss on her and they, they kind of like make out. And the, the original within like the, like the studio wanted a love story between Jimmy Dugan and Dottie Henson. And it obviously the, the the scene failed in the studio saw like yeah, scrap that scene we're not going to include that that's, that's that's hot trash and you know so you never ever get that in the in the final product but yeah that's a wild one because it it probably would have made the movie a more impactful realistic movie but it's not a disney movie it mm-hmm. it, it doesn't uh it's not clean um because bill pullman comes back you know her that, that's a whole thing you know and but also i like i don't want to see dotty and jimmy dugan hook up I, I i i like the idea that they're they're equals they're they they both just love baseball you know and that's their connection a connection doesn't have to lead into a romantic endeavor because of the fact that there's a male and a female you know what i mean like can't can't equals just just be without us wanting to add some type of romantic element to it. I see where you're going. That's where you're bringing it back to mm-hmm. Trinerso and Cassio. They don't have to hold hands. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay for him to hug at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I don't, I'm not necessarily against their, their connection. I'm, I just don't know if, I don't know. I don't know because that's really the the only thing that puts us in that way. Because obviously, you know, he he didn't he didn't kill her father. He was torn, but it wasn't necessarily. You never got the sense that he was torn because of the fact that he had a, like romantic feelings toward her. You know, you don't get that. It was more just a connection of the fact that she's on this team. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna freaking ice her father that she uh, hasn't seen yet. I, you know what I mean? Well, I like the idea that she explained it to him well. 
like he got off the phone with the commander who said no carry on and then she was like no my father doesn't mean he's like what are you talking about it and then like later on she double explains like no we've all heard the message like she kept countering him and uh i think that's what kind of changed his mind Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. It's still one of the great things of the film that what they're doing is they are doing their best to portray the rebellion as terrorists. I think one of the interesting things is whenever they come into the shield gate on Scarif, nobody does anything. <laughs> and they're like, it's the rebel fleet, but nobody shoots. <laughs> this is like mm-hmm. until all of a sudden credit just goes, deploy the garrison. It's just like but they're they're in a peacetime. I guess the Empire, I guess, is running shit. And they like they're like, oh, I guess these these planes are in our jurisdiction. We're not allowed to shoot at them. You know, like mm-hmm. just I, as I imagine, people of the U.S. Army or military forces felt where they are not allowed to be the first ones to shoot. They have to wait for a response, which must yeah. be a terrifying feeling. Yeah, to to, to have all this guns and ammunition. And, and, and have all the back end to be like, all right, well, I guess I got to get hit first. Mm-hmm. I guess you got to punch me and then I get to punch you like that. But, but it happens. It creates a nuts distrust. And, you know. All right. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. Time to start reeling it, reeling it in. Okay. Um, you know, okay. so. Yeah. Uh, bring it on start, back. Bring it on back. So I want you to, we don't have to necessarily go super in depth, but. <laughs> You know, uh, if you want to, if you can think of your, your top five favorite things about this movie, if there is a scene, if there is a character, uh, you just, you know, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because you just mentioned the deploy the garrison. Yeah. Um, just Ben Mendelsohn is just so great in this role. And I'm so glad that we, that we had him, even if it was just for one, like just one movie, you know, in this, in a star Wars universe. But I love that scene where they're all just kind of like shell shocked, like, Oh, what, well, what the fuck do we do now? And he's like, what are you looking at me for? Deploy the garrison. You know, it's just so good. Yeah. Uh, it might not be the best scene, but one of the things I thought was interesting was when the the actors are dying on Scarif, uh, damn it, the bow staff guy, when he goes out, this is going to be a trivia question to you because he goes out to, to turn on the thing to, to let him go. And he says, what is it? The, uh, the, I'm and one with the force. force, the force is with me. Pop quiz. Do you know how many times he says that on his way there? It takes two scenes, by the way. Um, it's a round number. Ten. That's correct. All right. All right. What I, what I think's cool is after that, because his friend, Machine Gun Kelly. Uh, base. He's comforting him. And the saying is, I'm one with the force. The force is with me. And he finishes it off and he says... The force is with me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. It, it's weird because it's like, you know, it's retort. It's just two sayings, but whenever you say it backwards, it kind of has a different meaning. So the force is with me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. I'm one with the force. And that's when he starts knocking down uh, all the rest of Carrick's guys. And I feel like his gun and his kind of setup. 
it sets up as him as a trooper for a different planet somewhere else. Like that's who his character was. And his character ends up at the end of the day, taking revenge for his best friend against what he is. And, and to me, that's great storytelling. I like it. I like it. You want to talk about the project code names? So, so when K2, Cassio and Jen, they break into the database, right? And they're trying to find, you know, the the plans for the archive. And it's Stardust. Stardust. That's me. I'm Stardust, right? They, they name a co- couple other. One is Stratosphere, Malcolm Mundane, uh, Max Aurora, or Pax Aurora, Roar Mantle, Cluster Prison. And here, here's here, here, here's kind of stopping in your track. Black Saber. Oh. And then Stardust. Hmm. So it's that's one of those fun little like, what are all these? And I, I imagine you can Google them and there, there is information on them. Kind of Google some of them just to find the spelling. But uh anyways, project codenames, you know, throw that in there. Awesome, cool little scene. But also when they're stealing the records, what's cool is like Jen's about to go up and Cassio's just like, bam, bam, shoot at me, shoot at me. And he's shooting back. It's just like, he doesn't care. He's, he's already lived and died. He's been in it since he was six years old. And uh, I think that's the other cool thing about the short tone. It's like, he, he has nothing else to live for. He, he's happy. You know, not to say he's happy to die. He doesn't want to die, but he does know he has shot people in the back. Mm-hmm. He, he has been a spy, a saboteur. That's the other thing, the way he says it. A spy is somebody who just collects information. A saboteur is somebody who might create havoc. But an assassin is somebody who actually kills somebody themselves. Like, he has been all three of those things. And it, it, whenever he says it, like, reels them out, like, that is telling you his character and where he's gone. And uh, so, uh, anyway, I like it. I, like I it love too. it. I like it too. Um, all right. Uh, we, we would not be doing our, our listeners a favor. If uh, how could their favors, we wouldn't be, we would be doing a disservice if we didn't at least mention the, the digital replication of grandma Tarkin and princess Leia in this. Yeah. How do you, how do, how do you feel they did? What do you, what are your thoughts? Well, in, I can still remember you and I having this discussion outside of Alamo. To me, it didn't phase me. Um, I appreciated it. We've talked more about uh, comic bookie. Maybe, maybe sometimes you just look for the fakest thing in the film. And Grandma's face was the fakest thing in all the film. Mm-hmm. Did it take but, you out of the film? No, no. no. Well, to me, it, it made me excited, made me happy. Mm-hmm. I can remember in uh, kind of like the first time I ever heard of it done was in Gladiator, where uh, Proximo has this short little scene where he kind of walks across. And uh, but I think that was what well, Gladiator came out in two thousands and stuff like that. But like that was one of the first like kind of visuals where they used it. And this is complete CGI. And to me, it, I was blo- I, I thought it was close enough. I, I guess I blown away let's just put it i was i was happy and i was like ah that's the guy i know so i was happy with it 
I know you weren't. I know you weren't. So go ahead. Well, no, 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 no. It wasn't that I wasn't. I, I thought it was really cool. I thought it was freaking awesome to see oh, somebody good. redo Peter Cushing. You know, I was not expecting that when I saw that in the movie theater. And and then when you see Peter Cushing, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's that's well, that's not Peter Cushing. That's a, a, a digital um, replicant of Peter Cushing. But that's pretty cool. And. And then later on, you get the, you get the Princess Leia, the same thing. My only critiques, and those are again, it's just it's just one of those things, is the fact of they haven't been able to perfectly replicate human eyes, and that is one of the things that I think is also kind of magical is the fact that that that's the one thing that that really, really shows a little bit more organic matter about us is that whether it's a a cartoon, a digital replication or anything, the eyes are just not quite, quite there. And I think that's, I think, I think there's something very neat and and human about that is with all the science and all the technology and all the special effects and all the money and we can we can do all the all these great things, but you still can't completely replicate the human eye artificially. And I think that I think I think there's something beautiful about that, even though they tried. But that's that was the one thing that 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 stood out to me because I think the complexion looked really really good, uh, the the movement I thought looked really really good. But that was the one thing that because I mean I and maybe and maybe there were more to it you know there were, there were more glitches but because of the fact that whenever I I talk to somebody I you know I'm looking in the eye and you know I I, I look you know that's that's it you know we we look at each other so when I'm watching a character on on screen and it's a human and the eyes are just a little bit off you're just like hmm well that's not real but. That's still very, very nitpicky. And I thought it was really freaking cool to get that on camera. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. So, yeah, I I loved getting, uh, seeing um, Peter Cushing relive as Grand Moff Tarkin because the last time we saw him in Star Wars was in 1977 and he got, he got blown up on the Death Star. So to see him again in this film was a really, it was a really cool touch. And going through the stories, what I realized is there has to be a villain who dies. And in Star Wars, that's Grand Moff Tarkin. Mm-hmm. He he is the uh yeah, I don't know. He, he's the bad guy. <laughs> he's the bad guy. He's the Darth He's the Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. Right? He's he's the Django Fett, right? Right. He he's the General Grievous. He's the I'm not emphasis. Where am I going now? We're, solo Dryden Voss. Dryden. He's the Dryden Vosk. So in this mm-hmm. film, he's the he's the younglings. Oh uh, well. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about the younglings. I, I thought I went over it though. Like the symbolism behind him killing the younglings, he doesn't have a family, but to the Sith, you have to kill your family members to be accepted within the team. So he's not only killing the people that he's a family member to, he's also killing what he can never be, which is a youngling. 
that, that, that he was rejected by. It, it's a very strong statement that uh, Revision of the State took in that standpoint. And, and kudos, kudos for the bravery. Dude, can you tell me another movie where the hero gets to kill kids and lives? Man, I'm, I'm, uh, but it's We're enough about talking. Yeah. About it. It's all right. It's been a fun time. Um, but it is, we are approaching that time to wrap up just because of the fact that I want to get this out on Tuesday yeah. and I think we've covered everything, but except for one very, very crucial, crucial scene, mm. fucking Darth Vader just shredding up everybody in that scene yep. what was that emotional like uh, well i I'm, i don't know maybe that's not the right question what did you feel when you saw that scene because i still remember it very viscerally like but you and i you and i saw it together mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and the thought is it and as every star wars fan is going to go to a movie scene is are we going to see a movie without lightsaber and I felt like by the end of that movie, we got the whole movie and we we believed that there wasn't going to be a lightsaber. We not only got a lightsaber, we we got a badass scene. Mm-hmm. And I guess to dive into how they, they had two scenes to invest into Darth Vader's character. And I think they did both scenes well. They, they had a guy come and grab him and, you know, he's doing his thing in this temple, but Darth, Darth Vader doesn't have much to live for anymore. What he wants to do is what he's good at mm-hmm. and what he's good at is killing. Mm-hmm. So he, he wants to get in close, Like he's playing games with them. Uh, how do you know that they were actually holding the Death Star's plans, he probably would just force grabbed it and threw it to the back. I, I like to believe he didn't actually know the guy by the door actually had him. Mm-hmm. I just think he was just going in there, having fun and tearing it up. But uh, I, it is pr- it's an exclamation part. It's, it's an exclamation point on this movie. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I remember, you know, like here is Scarif blows up, and our and our protagonists, they're dead, they're dead, they're gone, oh. right? And like everything beams up, and it's like, all right, they've succeeded. And then we're like, okay, all right. But how this movie now bridges from that moment into the beginning of the original Star Wars, and then we're introduced to Darth Vader actually doing Darth Vader type shit because in the 1970, you know, you have that scene. That's what I think about it as a bookend, whereas like this creates Darth Vader as a scary character. Whenever you only watch the four, you know, this movie and the original three, Darth Vader all of a sudden is a much more scarier character. Grand Moff Tarkin is a much more scarier character. One thing I guess I didn't like was I always felt when I watched the original that they were just picking up a, you know, a embassy ship. In this one, it makes it very clear that that was the ship that got the, the plans. <laughs> so that, that was the one thing that kind of ruined it to me. It's like, yeah, of course, Darth Vader knew that was the ship. Like, 
you know, I guess when I watched the original, I feel like they just kind of like randomly were like, no, you were the ship. But now it's like, Darth Vader was like, looking at the ship, was like, nah, you're the ship. Mm-hmm, no, mm-hmm. I get, I guess as a guy who likes how stories get tied in, I would say that would be a failure. That would be one of my flaws. I don't know. If it's that fair. would be, well, but I, I but I do get the the stretch on Princess Leia's like we are an ambassadorship on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan, you know, like you are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take well, a look. Uh, it makes a lot of sense why they destroyed Alderaan number one. She was like, it's a peaceful planet. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, day one, Alderaan has been like Rebel Alliance. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it sucks for all those people, though. That, did, that never existed in yeah, time. The other, the other thing is Jimmy Smith's, like, his line of dialogue. Well, I got to go back to Alderaan. It's like, no, don't do it. You're going to get blown up. I think it'd be funny if Jimmy Smith is paid, like, if he has, like, one per diem per, like, you know, just screen time and one per word said, because he has one where he just like walks in and you get a bit of the old music. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's the tie-in. And then he has the other line was like, oh, I trust her with my life. Yeah. <laughs> and so he says something later and it's cool tie-in, but uh, so I, I remember watching that scene and he says that and you pro you I, you might not I would not trust my adopted daughter yeah. with my no, life. No, no, no. Where, where I was going with it is there, there, I'm, I'm saying this to the three people that, that may get this reference. But when Jimmy Smith, uh, Jimmy Smith is saying that he's going back to Alderaan, I, I, I had like, I had like this flashback to the TV show friends when the guy that uh, Joey, he, he played this, uh, he played an actor on the TV show and he, he was uh, like a, uh, a soap opera star and his character was getting written off and basically he was going to die. And the way he was going to die is he was going to like go into like an open, um, whatchamacallit, uh, elevator. Dr. Drake. Drake Rem- <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I guess I gotta go yeah. down here. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, anybody else want to get on this elevator? Like, no, Mm-mm. No, 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 I don't, no, I don't want to go. And he's like, okay. And then he like falls down the elevator shaft. And I was thinking like, anybody else want to go with me to Alderaan? They're like, no, mm-mm, no, it's, it's just you, buddy. You're going to Alderaan. Uh, yeah. So I was watching a mystery man the other day. <laughs> oh, and uh, yeah. And um, Gina, da- or, what, uh, not Gina Davis. Um, Janine Garofalo. Yeah. But her her dad was the bowler, and they and they had a line where Hank is there. He's like, "Yeah, there was some uh, little mix up, a little confusion." He's like, "Yeah, he fell down an elevator shaft on eleven bullets." (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. You don't have any uh, questions for me, do you? Well, I've got so I've got a couple questions, but not many because we've already really addressed all of them. So your main trivia question for this week is what is the resource power that the Death Star needs? What is the type of crystal that the Death Star needs to wow, be a planet killer? Kyber crystal. Kyber crystals is correct. That's Can you one. tell me what battle rifle the stormtroopers just phased out 
the battle rifle that the sponsor. There's a scene where the stormtroopers are talking and they said, did you hear the blank, blank? One out of us. And then. uh, No, what is it? The T-15. The T-15. So you get this fun little dialogue of these two guys walking like, you hear the T-15? So I had to look up T-15. It's a rifle. So the stormtroopers are talking about the T-15 being out of phase. Fun. Now, pop quiz. Cassian and Jen and uh, K- K2. Yeah. Before they blow, they tell the guys to blow it. They have a certain amount of troopers in their path. Rough estimate, rough guess. 40. 89. 89. Okay. Well, All right. those are my questions. All right. Um, my last question for you is Were you aware? that Disney plus is releasing a TV show about Cassian Andal. Guess what? We are getting more Diego Luna. We are getting <laughs> Disney plus is releasing. No! Yep. No, well, I did not know this. So we are getting more K2, K2SO and Cassian. We are getting a TV show about them. No, it, it, wow. No, I did not know. How uh, do you I feel? Well, I kind of, I know we're not gonna, you know, talk for two more hours, but who has better eyes, Diego Luna or Jared Leto? Uh, between those two, I'll take Diego Luna. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm uh, tough. You know, you, you, you know me and my 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 Latin men. You know, I got my Omar right. You know, so. <laughs> but but you know, like what I mean, like ah, uh, like oh, yeah. Either way, I'm a, I'm a. Diego Luna, man. He, I love him. I love him. He's amazing. I, I went through his movie and so I was like, I've only seen a few of them, but he nails it in every one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, even though he wasn't the guy from the Motorcycle Diaries, which I thought that was the first movie I ever saw him. <laughs> Anyways, uh, change subject. <laughs> but no, uh, no, that sounds fun. So is Alan Turdick part of it? Uh, allegedly, allegedly, yeah. So that is uh, part of like the the Disney Plus. They so last year during the pandemic, they they launched this thing where like all these different shows that were going to come out. So they they announced Obi Wan. They announced uh, this Bad Batch, which is kind of like an animated. Well, it show. seemed like even at the end of Mandalorian, they kind of flashed like what four or five different features coming out right am i mm-hmm. am i incorrect in saying that they show like, like yeah. multiple yeah so yeah so uh cassian is getting a disney plus i think it's called andor i think that's what it's called is andor and that is about cassian andor so he has his own his own show and allegedly um k2so is going to be on it as well so be on the lookout for that so listeners thank you very much for for tuning into this episode happy uh may 4th or more specifically may the 4th be with you i am i am very very honored humbled excited thrilled i don't know i I really don't know the words to uh, to use when it comes to this but i'm very appreciative that you take the time to listen to these episodes uh john and i work very very hard and you know i'm very thankful for him and i'm thankful for all the guests that that appear on on this podcast and 
As always, please like, listen, subscribe, rate, go onto that Apple Podcasts app, go to the bottom, leave a review, you know, leave a comment, rate it, all that fun stuff. It helped, it really does help with these metrics. Thank you to those that have done it. And of course, tell your friends. But before I say goodbye, John, do you have any parting words that you want to say to the audience before we see you at, again at the end of this month to tackle the original Star Wars? Do you have anything else that you like, whether about this movie, any other movie, what have you, you've got the floor. I'm really looking forward to covering Star Wars from this film. The Hammerhead Corvette trying to push <laughs> yes. a starship yes. into one, but all of a sudden, like the bodies. All right, I'll just leave it there. But <laughs> yeah, the little Hammerhead you want, tugboat. Yeah, yeah, but like the idea, like it could push you with enough force. Like, but anybody ever saw boats in a water? It's you know, like if they're if they're bigger than the thing pushing, it's just gonna push it it's not going to make it explode so right. <laughs> <laughs> um, some something in that <laughs> john this has been fun almost as much fun as it was actually hanging out with you this past week that was a lot of fun dude i had that a great was time, great time that man. was a great time i don't even think it was even close man you gotta get down here you gotta hang out with me man we gotta do one of these together Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to do that. We're gonna have to do, uh, record one of these episodes, and I feel bad because I didn't take nearly the amount of pictures that I wanted to. But I was just like lost in the moment of just hanging out with everybody. It's like, fuck, I don't have time for pictures. I just I want to actually experience these moments with these people. And nah, man, that's time better spent, dude. I appreciate a good photo and stuff like that. I look back at my memories, and you know, sometimes I wish I had a good photo, but. There were plenty of times in my life when I was traveling around the world and I looked out on the sunset and I thought to myself, like, I'm wasting time taking a photo. Mm-hmm. Like, let me embrace this. So which, which continent don't, has don't worry the, about not having this. Which continent has the, the best sun or, uh, sunset? Uh, where's the best sunset? Man, I will. Look, there's something about like this time of year in Texas because you get a lot of these like like a really blue slash uh, turquoise neon uh, orange. Like you get these really kind of beautiful skies and stuff like that. But if you're talking about sitting on a beach and watching the sun come up, well, you got to go to Bermuda. KBB, baby. KBB. KBB. We'll see you next time on another episode of Stamper Cinema. Bye, everybody.